Thanks, Eliza. Really great to, to see you in our grand reopening. And uh, I wanted to take this opportunity just to, to welcome you. I'm so glad to see some of you for the first time in person. I know you've been seeing my face uh, online, but it's so good to see you guys too. It's funny as we transition because um, some of you I've never seen without a mask, so I, I couldn't recognize you this morning. But So it's really good to, to see that. And as we kind of just re-entering and kind of getting used to what it is kind of this post-COVID time. I know for me it's kind of uh, a little uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, but a little awkward as we go to different places like, oh, is this mask or no mask? And so I always have it in my pocket. Do I take it out? Do I not take it out? And so we're in like an adjustment time. But um, as we kind of shared last week, uh, when you come here in person, if you're vaccinated, a uh, mask is optional for you. You can still obviously wear one, but it's not mandatory for you. Uh, we would ask those that are not vaccinated yet if you can continue to, to wear a mask. And at some point, we'll probably go without. But for now, this is kind of the way we're going to uh, operate one here in person. So we'll do that. Well, as we've been thinking about the, the grand kind of reopening for us, uh, I was kind of seeking the Lord about the message for today. And so he gave me a particular message to, to speak on. So we're going to take a small break from the Philippians series that we've been going through. And we're going to look at this message from Matthew chapter 9, titled Thrive, Don't Just Survive. Okay, so this is from Matthew chapter 9. Uh, starting verse 14. So it says, Then John's disciples came and asked him, speaking to Jesus, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so let's give a little bit of context to this passage. So this passage is talking about John's disciples. Who's John? This is John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist and Jesus are actually related. Okay, so loosely you could say that they're kind of cousins. Okay, but John the Baptist and Jesus are related. So John's disciples are coming up to Jesus and his disciples. Okay, so he's coming to them and asking them this question. How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples, speaking of Jesus, your disciples do not fast? Okay, so when we look at this uh, verse in verse 14, uh, it's very important, as I think it, it is always, to kind of, when you read the Bible, to really imagine it actually happening. Okay, and I think that's really important when we read the Bible. I always have this phrase, live the word. Okay, so when I read the Bible, I want to live the Bible. I want to live the word. I want to actually think like these things actually happen. And for you to imagine these things actually happening. For example, here, think about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist grew up with Jesus and he had the message of what? To prepare the way for the Messiah, prepare the way for Jesus. So he preached that to his disciples. Okay, so once Jesus came and launched his ministry, some of his disciples didn't go with Jesus, but some did. So two of Jesus' disciples were actually disciples of John the Baptist. Who are those? One we know the identity is Andrew. The other one we don't know the identity. The Bible never gives specifically his name. But we know at least two of Jesus' 12 disciples used to be with John the Baptist and his disciples. Okay, so if you can imagine what's happening here, Andrew and the other disciple who used to be John the Baptist's disciples probably talked about it. They probably talked about John the Baptist. They probably talked about what it was like to, to uh, follow this uh, prophet, this crazy guy who wore camel skins and eat locusts and honey and was out there in the wilderness and he was doing all these things. So they probably talked about it. 
And so this is the kind of thing that I want you to get accustomed to doing. Think about these things actually happen because they actually did. These things actually happen. So when you imagine these things, you need to picture these things as they were unfolding. And when you do, you'll get more insight into the word, right? I remember it was actually uh, several months ago that I had recommended this series. It's called The Chosen. So I've never, I've, I've never, I don't know how many of you have got a chance to watch that series, but basically it's taking you through the Gospels, right? So they're in the second season right now. And what I really like about the Chosen series is that they do a great job kind of depicting what it would be like, giving you a picture of what Jesus was like and what his disciples were like. And sometimes they kind of use have their own license and they kind of have their imagination of what happened and it may or may not have happened that way. But one thing I do like is that it makes me think. It makes me wonder, what was it actually like? What was Peter like? You know, what was his brother Andrew like? What was Andrew like when he went from being John the Baptist's disciple to being Jesus' disciple? You know, what was that like? And so even thinking about this situation where John's disciples are coming and confronting Jesus and his disciples, it's like two kind of gangs coming together and having this confrontation, right? So you have Andrew who used to be part of the old gang and this other disciple used to be part of the old gang and they're coming together and they're confronting them. So when you look at this picture, it's a confrontation. So John's disciples are confronting Jesus and his disciples. And what are they asking? How come you guys don't fast like the law requires? You know, it says, how come you, we and the Pharisees fast often? They would fast twice a week, okay? So that would be the law that they were following. Twice a week they would fast, okay? So you can think about how you like fasting. They would do it twice a week, okay? So twice a week they would fast. And they're asking the questions, how come we're doing it? How come we're following the law, but you guys are not? Okay, so that's what they're approaching to, to ask Jesus. Let's look at Jesus' response. Verse 15, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Okay, like it's pretty often when you see Jesus, whenever someone asks Jesus a question, he always comes back and does what? He asks them another question. It's never very clear, right? Even in this example, what does this have to do with fasting? Right? So let's take a look at this. What does this have to do with fasting? Okay, so Jesus gives this example. In fact, he's going to give three different pictures. Okay, in the next few verses, he's going to give three different pictures in response to John Disciple's question. Okay, so he first says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Okay, so if you're familiar with the Bible, the, uh, especially later in the New Testament, who is the bridegroom? The bridegroom refers to Jesus. Okay, so he's talking about himself in the third person. Okay, so he's saying, you know, how can the guests of the bridegroom, all of my disciples, how can they mourn while they're with me? A time will come when I'll be taken away, then they'll fast. Okay, so we can learn a couple things about fasting from this passage. One is that fasting is usually associated with something when you feel it really intensely, whether it's a time of mourning or, or deep things that you're wrestling with or important decisions that you're trying to do. A lot of times that's associated with times of fasting. Right, where you're intensely seeking after God for these times. But the second thing really comes out in this passage. Okay? Jesus says that when the guests, he's talking about the people that are with him, right? when my disciples are with me, that's not a time for fasting. Right? Why? 
Why does he say that? Well, I think he's saying that because one of the main purposes of fasting is to come and have a greater intimacy and connection with God. One of the primary reasons why we fast is to have an intentional time where we try to have a deeper connection with the Lord and his presence in our life. So basically he's saying is, I'm right here with them. What's the purpose of fasting right now? If the purpose of fasting is to try to get closer to me, they're right here with me already. Why would they fast? Why would you try to fast and try to get closer to me when you're sitting here right in my presence? He's saying there's no purpose of fasting right now. The next thing we can see is when the, the guests are with the bridegroom, what are they supposed to be doing? They're not supposed to be fasting. What are they supposed to be doing? Celebrating. When you're with the Lord and his presence, it's a time for joy and celebration. It's not a time for mourning. It's not a time for fasting. You know, I chose the book of Philippians for us to kind of go through during this time because I felt like the thing that was missing the most the past 15, 16 months was joy. And I think that throughout this long time of of COVID and the quarantine and then thinking that it's going to be over just in a few months or a few weeks and seeing like it's never going to be over and people talking about it's going to go on for years and years and, and now we're slowly kind of transitioning out. I felt like the Lord saying, you need to go back to what's been missing. And I think one of the things missing is joy. And one of the things that brings joy is his presence. That's why he says the guests of the bridegroom don't fast. It's not a time to mourn. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to have joy. And I think this is a message for us coming out of this season. And I mentioned it last week too. It's a time to focus in on joy. It's a time to usher in God's presence. And when his presence comes, we need to release joy. We need to release celebration. And sometimes when you haven't had that for a really long time, it seems awkward or it seems strange to do that. Sometimes you have to give yourself permission to have that. And I find myself doing that like, it's okay. It's okay to feel joyful. I know everything's not back to normal. I know still things are happening. But it's okay in the midst of that to still have joy. And we need to be intentional about it. And we need to think about it. And we need to have joy as we think about the Lord's presence. Because no matter how many things have changed, no matter how many things we have gone through, there's one thing that's constant. It's God's presence. That's one thing we can be joyful about. No matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter what is turned upside down, no matter what is going wrong, we can always have joy because the Lord is present. Always. And so when we look at Matthew 19.15, we can see that this is what he's saying. When my disciples are with me, it's time to have joy. It's time to celebrate. But there will be a time when I will be taken away. Then they will fast. Then it will be a time where they can come intentionally seek me. But that's not now. Okay, so he's sharing this with, uh, with John's disciples and saying, you actually are not understanding, right? The question you're asking is showing that you're not getting the full uh, grasp of what God had in mind when he had fasting. And he gives two more examples to show this. Okay, so let's look at the first one. It says, 
No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Okay, so I think we don't have a lot of experience on this, that doing this kind of like patching where we put old pieces of cloth on, on holes in our clothes, but I think we can all relate to this, right? So like, for instance, I remember there's one time that I was uh, shopping and I found this shirt that I like. And this shirt, basically, it fit me exactly, like perfectly, okay? And, but I was thinking about buying it, but I had a question. Do you know what my question was? I wonder if it's going to shrink, right? Because there's no, there's no wiggle room. It fits me exactly. If it shrinks, it's going to be worthless. I'm going to have to throw it away, right? And I hate wasting money, right? So I'm thinking about this in the store. I'm thinking, is this thing going to shrink? Because sometimes when you put clothes through the wash and then into the dryer, it shrinks, right? When it's new, it shrinks, right? So when I think about that and I look at this passage, this is what Jesus is trying to get at, right? If you've had clothes that you've worn for a long time, that you've already gone through the wash many, many times, you're not worried about that. It's not going to shrink anymore. It's already the size it's supposed to be. So he's saying if you have some old clothes that have already gone through that process and you have a hole in it, and then you try to stick some new cloth onto it, what happens when you wash it? The new cloth is going to shrink. And what happens when it shrinks? It's going to tear an even bigger hole. He's saying, this is not smart. Don't do this. If you have an old piece of clothing that has a hole in it, don't put some new stuff on it. You need to put some old stuff on it, right? Or else it's going to make a bigger hole. Okay, then he gives another example, which is actually the same example as this. He just uses a different thing, right? So let's look at verse 17. He says, neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will become ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Basically, he's saying the exact same thing as what he did in verse 16, right? He's saying... When you have a wineskin, a wineskin, basically, they use, like, animal hide, right? So they use, like, a goat or something like that, and then they used it and formed it into, like, a little pouch, right? That's what they poured the wine in, and that was hold the wok, hold the wine. They don't have wine bottles, right? They have these, like, little pouches, right, made of animal skin, okay? And what he was saying is sim similar to the clothing idea. If you have an old wineskin, it's already been stretched out. It's already been stretched out to the maximum, right? When you have an old wineskin, it's very inflexible. It gets old and crusty. It's already been, it has no room to stretch, okay? Like the old cloth has no room to stretch. So if you have an old wineskin, what happens if you pour wine, new wine in there? Well, the new wine is going to breathe. It's going to start uh, fermenting and it's going to start creating some gases. So you have the wine plus all the gases that are happening. Guess what happens? It starts getting bigger, right? Sounds like a science experiment, right? You pour it in, it starts getting bigger. And what happens if the skin is inflexible and it starts getting bigger? It's going to break. It's going to pop and all the wine is going to pour out and the wine skin is going to be ruined. That's exactly what he's saying here. What in the world is he talking about? Okay, so I kind of get the illustration of verse 16 and 17. But what is he trying to say? Why is he giving this in response to the Pharisees and John's disciples' question when they're asking, how come your disciples don't fast? Why is he giving this example? Well, I think he's giving this example 
because he's saying that the John's disciples and the Pharisees are like the old cloth and the old wineskin. They're inflexible. They're so used to their tradition. They're so used to the way that they've been doing things that they can't receive something new, like a new piece of cloth or a new batch of wine. They can't receive it. They can't receive it because they're so conditioned to how they've been living their life and how they've been approaching God, how they've been approaching following the things that God wants. They're so used to that and so conditioned by that, they can't see anything new. God can't bring anything new to them. God can't teach them anything new. God can't bring a new revelation into their life. God can't show them new things that are going on because they're so unwilling to change. Um, whenever I think about uh, kind of resistance to change, I always kind of think about my dad. So my dad is kind of uh, notorious for not wanting to change. Okay, so whether it's like the clothes he wears, he has the same, if you go in his closet, it's the same pants and the same shirt. It's like 10 of the same pants and 10 of the same shirts, right? And then he has the same shoes. And then, you know, when one of those wears out, he just buys the same thing over again, right? So I was telling, actually, I was thinking about it the other day. I was telling my wife, too. Like, there was one day he had these Florsheim shoes, right? I don't know if you remember Florsheim. That was way long ago. They had these Florsheim shoes that he would always wear, and then they discontinued it. And I was thinking, oh, no, what is my dad going to do? Like, what, is, what kind of shoes is he going to buy now, right? And how panicked is he going to be? But he was very resistant to change. He knows what he likes, and he likes what he knows, right? He's very resistant to change. I remember one time, okay, and this is way back. This is way back when, before cell phones and stuff. So I remember way back when all we had was a landline, right? And so I remember we got a phone call, and I had answered it, okay? And it was a salesperson from AT&T, okay? So we had a Pac Bell, Pacific Bell, okay? So You'll have to Google it if you're, if you're not that old, right? We had Pacific Bell with our landline, okay? And we got this call from AT&T. And basically, the, person, the salesperson was asking if we're willing to change providers, switch over from PacBell to AT&T. So similar to how they do now, and they try to give you some incentives, right? And so I can't remember exactly what the incentive was. Basically, like, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to fill out any paperwork. We'll just make the switch for you. You don't have to do anything at all. And we're going to give you $100, OK? And I thought, this is like a no-brainer, right? We don't have to do anything. Nobody has to come to our house. We don't have to fill out any paperwork. All we have to do is say yes, and they're going to give us $100. And then everything will be the same. All your services are the same. All the prices are the same. All, everything was exactly the same. So I said, oh, this is great. This is like, this is great news, right? So I remember going to my dad, and I, I told him about exactly what I shared with you, right? That we got a call from AT&T, and then he, they want us to switch, and we don't have to do anything. Not anything is required, right? And then they're going to give us $100. And then I still remember my dad saying, no way. No way am I going to change. And I was like, Really? I just told you, you don't have to do anything. Your service is going to be the same. Same cost to call Korea. Same, everything's the same. Nothing's going to change. No way. No way. And so I remember arguing with him a little bit. And then eventually he got really mad at me. He said, there's no way I'm going to change. Not if they give me a million dollars would I change my phone. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't think he's going to change, right? 
But that was kind of just a small picture of what, it, what my dad was like when he got so intent on keeping the same thing the same thing. But the hard part is that he missed out on a lot of new things that, that life would bring, that the Lord would want to bring. And I think that's kind of a picture of what Jesus is painting here. When Jesus is saying, if we're stuck on the same thing, and we're approaching our life the same way, and we're doing the same thing over and over again, how can we expect God to bring something new? He can't. As long as we have our old wineskin, as long as we have the old beat-up wineskin that we've gotten comfortable with, that we're so used to and so comfortable with, as long as we keep holding on to that old wineskin and that old way of thinking, God can't bring anything new. And when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of, uh, of an image that the Lord gave me. This was months ago, and I actually shared it here during one of the services. Okay, and the image was this. It was a person with a slingshot. Okay, if you remember this image. So he gave me this image when I was thinking about the pandemic. And when I was thinking about the pandemic, the image he gave me was, it feels like we're going backwards, right? A lot of things are stopping. A lot of things are going backwards. And that's the kind of feeling that I had during this pandemic season, right? Everything was kind of going backwards. Then the Lord gave me this image of the slingshot. And he's saying, things are going backwards, but look what's really happening. I'm pulling the slingshot back. And he, as he's pulling the slingshot back, and you're this little rock inside, as he's pulling the slingshot back, what does it feel like for you? Well, it feels like I'm going backwards. But in reality, what is God doing? He's preparing to launch you. He's preparing to launch you. And so as I was preparing the message today, he brought this image back again. And he was saying, the Lord has been preparing you for all of these months. The Lord has been preparing you by asking you to look inside. The Lord has been preparing you by examining the things inside. Do you have this old wineskin that you've been carrying for a long time that God is asking you to throw away? If you look at the passage, he's not saying that an old wineskin, if you just rub it out and you, and you massage it, that you can pour new wine in it. No. He says you cannot pour new wine in it. You have to get a new wineskin. You have to have a new way of thinking. You have to have a new way of living if you want to receive what the Lord wants to pour in. You can't do it in the old wineskin. And so the Lord was reminding of this is look at what's, what's happening as he's pulling back the stone, ready, getting it ready to launch into the world for this new season that he's about to take us into. He's saying, look at what's been happening as I've been preparing you. What have I been doing? What have I been doing? What's been going on inside? What have you been wrestling with? Some of us have been wrestling with it and some of us have just tried to avoid it. I do that too. I just kind of ignore it, right? Like, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to change that. I don't want to look at that. And so I just get distracted by something else and we'll go watch something on Netflix or something instead or we'll get busy doing this or surfing on the net, doing that, and we try to ignore that. But I think the sad part for us is like, we're never gonna get launched if we don't address why God is pulling us back. He's preparing us. And if we don't recognize and we don't participate and we're not open to the things that he's been 
addressing in our life and the things that he's been showing us inside, we'll never get launched into the new season. We'll always be just surviving instead of thriving. And that's the word the Lord is really impressing upon me. He wants us to thrive and not survive. And I think if anything kind of describes the past, I don't know how many months, it's surviving. We just want to get it through. We just want to make it through. And now that we're kind of coming on the other side, we feel like, whew, I can take a breath. I survived. Is that our goal? Is that the goal that we want? Is that the bar we want to shoot for? Survive? Is that the sights that we want to have? Is that what God has for us? Just survive? Or does he want us to thrive? And I think that this new season that he wants to launch us into is one where we get to thrive. But that's not going to happen if we have our old wineskin. That's not going to happen if we're, un, if we're resistant to change and resistant to the things that God wants us to bring. And so as we close today's message, I really want us to think about that. What is your old wineskin? What is the Lord speaking to you? What does he want you to change? How does he want you to change how you're using your time, how you're using your energy, how's you, how you're using your money or your focus or how you've been at work or how you've been at home or how you've been in your relationships or how you've been engaging the Lord or not engaging the Lord? What's been your pattern? What's been the thing that's been going the same all throughout this pandemic time that he's saying, that's an old wineskin that you need to throw away. Don't try to improve it. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to manipulate it. Don't try to improve it. Throw it away and get a new wineskin because God pours new wine into new wineskins. So not just recognizing what you have been holding on to and the things that you've been doing, but then asking the next question is, Lord, what is the new wineskin? How do you want me to be different? How do you want me to change? How do you want me to take a step of courage? How do you want me to take a step of faith? How do you want me to take a step into something new? Maybe you've been calling me to do something new for a really long time and I've just been avoiding it. Maybe you've been calling me to take a step of faith and have courage to, to change this in your life or to change that in your life and we haven't been listening. We've been just trying to maintain, trying to survive. And I think this is the time where the Lord says, no, that time is over. That time is over. Now is the time to ask the Lord different questions. How am I going to thrive in this new season? How do you want me to reposition myself? How do you want me to change my thinking, change my choices? How do you want me to change what I'm doing and how I'm viewing th things so I can start thriving instead of just surviving and I think on this day our grand reopening day that's why I felt like the Lord saying give this message today because let it be just a signal for those that have you come for the first time then this is the start of the new wineskin right this is the start from changing from how we've been for however many months right today's the day for the new wineskin right step into the new wineskin and keep asking the Lord for more Asking more of his grace and his Holy Spirit to keep speaking to us. Because we can think about that individually, but I think we can also think about that collectively. Not only do we need a new wineskin individually, but as a whole church, we need that as well. That what does God have for our church? What does God have for us as corporately too in this new season? And let's step into that. Let's step into that.
Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you that you're a God of new wine and new beginnings and resurrection. So I just pray right now for those that have experienced turmoil and have experienced the old wineskin and, and felt that going on inside. I pray that you would pour out your grace and your new wine today. I pray that you pour out your healing where healing needs to happen. I pray that you pour out your spirit where new life needs to happen, where we haven't been experiencing. Give us the new life that only you can bring. Bring that today. We ask it and we pray that we'd be able to receive what you have for us and give us courage. Give us courage to step into the things that you want us to step in and step away from. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.